to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. First Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writing this letter. Uh, we've spent the last couple of weeks in the opening chapter. Or if you want to have the introduction, you can go back and look at that. But basically, Paul is writing a letter that is having to explain who he is, what he is, and why he has... Well, today he's talking about why he has delayed his coming to them. He's having to speak to the church there in Corinth in this letter about what I would oftentimes term a mixed multitude, a, a group of people that would cause a little discord in the fellowship and uh, tear down on him and, and cause his words and cause his influence or cause his, his desire to teach them in the ways and the admonitions of the Lord uh, to try to tear that down in order to build themselves up for them to become the leaders, if you will, and remove Paul from his spiritual fatherhood, if you will, uh, to be the influence that he would have spiritually over the children there that are uh, in Corinth, the new believers, if you will, the new church that, that is there in Corinth. We talked about how uh, uh, Paul said, you know, there was one of the reasons why we weren't there is that I, I we were stuck in Asia and we actually uh, feared for our lives and it was it was crazy. It was crazy how uh, difficult it was. In verse 9 it said, Yeah, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we shouldn't trust in ourselves, but God who raised us from the dead. Um, it Actually, back in verse 8, moving back into verse 8, he says, You know, when, when we were there in Asia, you know, uh, we were burdened beyond measure, above strength. We despaired even of life. Yes, we even have that death uh, sentence of death in ourselves that we shouldn't trust in ourselves, but in God who raised the dead. He delivered us from so great a death, and he always does deliver us. He always does that. That's who he is. And the day that he doesn't deliver us is the day that he's done with us. And it's time for us to come home, basically. And um, he will still deliver us. And then he says there, you know, there to, to culminate what we were talking about last week in verse 11, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Now I'm going to read uh, verse 12 through actually chapter 2, verse 4. And uh, why don't we stand together? That'll kind of get the blood going in you a little bit and then you can sit back down and and settle in, you know, for the message over the next 20 to 25 minutes. Beginning in verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read Paul talking, writing to the uh, Corinthians believers, For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we're not writing, we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or, or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast. 
as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this confidence, I intend to come to you before, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on, the, on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned to do, and I know some of this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to you unless I give you a little background to this. Let me just tell you this. Paul had said that he was going to go and visit them um, in Corinth on his way to Macedonia. And then, hey, I'll, I'll stop back by on my way out of Macedonia and I'll, I'll meet you again. And so that way you'll have a second benefit. I'll be able to come in, talk to you, hang out, spend some time with you, minister to you, go to Macedonia, spend my time there. And then on my way back out of Macedonia, I'll stop by, back by again. Well, it's in that time that he wrote the first letter to Corinthians, to the first Corinthians. And the thing is, is that, is that he didn't stop back through Corinth on his way back from Macedonia. He stopped in Corinth on the way to Macedonia, but he didn't stop back by. And so what we have here is that you have some of these people that are upset, but Paul, that Paul didn't stop back by, and they're causing a rumble within the church that Paul is fickle, that Paul is not to be trusted because he said he was going to be here, but he didn't come. And that's the whole issue that's going on in front of us. He says in verse 15, And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by... It makes a whole lot more sense now, doesn't it? To pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan it according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? They were basically saying, Paul, what you say is yes is actually no. What you say is no is actually yes. That's what the grumbling started coming in. But Paul goes, he says, but as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. We weren't like that. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among, us, among you by us, by me, Sylvanius and Timothy, he was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, Here's the reason why Paul changed his plans. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over you, over your faith, but we're fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you that confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you should might that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Father, I pray right now. You give me this heart that Paul had for people. 
I pray that you give all of us this heart that Paul has for people. The church. Even those that might rise up against him. Lord, I lift this study to you. And I pray, God, that you speak to us. Mature us, grow us, help us to walk out of here knowing your heart as we see it exemplified in the life of Paul. And we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul doesn't come back. He doesn't, he doesn't come back through Corinth on the way back from Macedonia. And there were some in the church that began to say, hey, they were the ones that didn't like the letter that Paul wrote. They're the ones that didn't like that Paul was correcting some of the things that were in the church. You remember, as we just got done with 1 Corinthians a month or so ago, as we looked through 1 Corinthians and we saw there was quite a few issues that Paul had to address in the young church in Corinth. And there were those in the church that didn't like any of this correction. And so the best way to get rid of correction from somebody is to... Uh, destroy the man's character. And that's what they were doing with Paul. They were trying to destroy his character to where people wouldn't want to listen to him anymore. There were those in the church that wanted to remove Paul from any kind of a spiritual influence in their life and they would use anything and everything they could at their disposal in order to, even if they had to fabricate some, to to, dis, to, to uh, break down Paul's credibility within the body of believers there in Corinth. And it, that happens. It happens. It happens everywhere. I don't care where you are. Every church I've been a part of. I've been a part of small churches, this one, and I've been a part of huge churches. You know, it, it, Calvary Costa Mesa, at the time when I was out there, had over 30,000 people in and out of their doors every week. Uh, Fort Lauderdale, when I left there, was somewhere between twelve and 14,000 when we left there. Uh, the church that I grew up in, uh, Ukaipa First Baptist Church in California, had 1,300 members. So I was always a part of big churches until I came to Sarasota. In any church, you're going to have those few that are in there that are always trying to cause some division. And they're those that are, are, are trying to, 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 to bring things down and bring people down. What I don't see here that Paul is doing is tearing those guys down. And I've tried to learn over the years. There were some times that, that, that I've tried to defend myself and at times when things like that have risen up in my own fellowship over the years, over the course of the years, where I've tried to defend myself, that if, if you try to defend yourself, uh, it's, it's, it's counterproductive. It, it, it oftentimes is counterproductive because, number one, you keep the thing going, and, and number two, you, it almost sounds like you're making excuses, and, and so I just refuse to, to, you know, for the most part, I won't say that I, you know, collectively do it all together at every single moment. But, but I try to. I try not to, if there's discord, I try to, I try to weed it out the best I can, quietly, 
I try to not bring attention to an individual and tear that individual down who's causing it. Sometimes it's unfortunate that you actually have to bring a person's name, you know, before the congregation, but it's never desirable. I, I hate to do that, and I will do everything in my power to not do it, everything that I can do without ever having to do that. And, and so you, this group of, of people in here, probably none of you have ever heard me do it from the pulpit. And and so here's the thing. I... I you know, within our own confines of our own body. But here, here's the thing. Paul, what I read in Paul's heart is that he's going, I don't want to come back to sorrow. I don't want to come back and, 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 and come back with a letter that was much like, I, I don't want to come back and speak to you so closely after I have given you this letter of 1 Corinthians that was pretty rough. It was a pretty harsh letter. It was a pretty tough letter to digest. And those that are there within your body that are, that are causing this little uprising, Paul does give a defense of himself saying, hey, listen, you know me. You, you know who I am. My, I'm, I, I'm not here. I'm not a guy who says yes but means no or says no and means yes i didn't i didn't flippantly or lightly say hey i'd come back through macedonia or from macedonia through corinth to, to be with you again i didn't lightly say that what paul is saying here is he's saying the holy spirit guided me differently he says in fact if i were to come back I, I didn't want to come back because he says there in uh, verse 23 all the way through chapter 2, uh, the, the first verses that I, I read there in chapter 2, he says, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you guys, to spare you guys, I came no more to Corinth. I didn't come to Corinth because I knew that that first letter was harsh. And I knew there was still things that you had to work out in the church. That if I were there, there would be no way for me to not have to address them in front of your eyes, in front of your face. I'd have to. My heart was not to come back with another, with another tough statement or another tough message to you. My heart was is that the Holy Spirit would do a work within your body and that you would work it out. That you could work it out amongst yourselves. That you could work it out with the pastors and the teachers that are being sent to you. That you can, you can get through this. And you see that, that your victory is not, it's not centered or anchored in a man, me. But that, it's, but that you understand that the, Holy, the same Holy Spirit that guides me is the same Holy Spirit that guides you. And that you begin to rely upon the Holy Spirit and not upon an individual. And gang, there are some of the greatest lessons that we can learn from this passage today. Is that Paul talks about there in, uh, in verse 21, he says that, doesn't he? He says in verse 21, Now he, God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, is God. And he's also sealed us and given us this spirit in our hearts as a deposit. He's bringing to yours and my attention, he's bringing to the Corinthian church to their attention that God loves his church so much, 
loves his church so much that after the death and resurrection of Christ, he also anointed us. God anointed us. And he's sealed us and he's given us the spirit in our hearts as a deposit. And, and so there's three aspects that we see here that God does with us in the Holy Spirit. He anoints us. He seals us. And he puts a deposit on us. That's what Paul's saying to the, to the Corinthian believers. He's going, I, I, I want you to know that the same Holy Spirit that's in me, the same Holy Spirit that God has sent to anoint the church, he's in you. He's anointed you, he's sealed you, and he's guaranteed you. Now, those words are pretty cool. He anoints you. You remember it was Jesus that said back in John chapter 14, when I have to go away, for if I don't go away, you remember the passage, right? If I don't go away, he tells the disciples, this is before he was crucified. He goes, I have to go away. Because if I don't go away, I, I can't send you the comforter, the paraclete, the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit. And it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't, then in chapters 14 and chapter 16, he's saying, it's to your advantage that I go away because when I do, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. Why is it to our advantage that Christ go away and send the Holy Spirit? It's because as Christ was here, Jesus Christ was here upon the face of the earth. He was in one place, one location at one time, at all times. There was, he wasn't jumping all around the place or in multiple locations at the same exact specific moment. Jesus said, so it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because while I'm walking with you and while I'm sitting here hanging out and eating some, some tilapia here up at the Sea of Galilee with you guys... There's somebody else down in Jerusalem. There's somebody over in Sarasota, Florida that, that really could use my help, that really could, could benefit from the, from the power of the Holy Spirit moving and reigning and leading and guiding him in his life or her life. But being that I'm here, I can't be there also. It's to your advantage that I go away. For when I go away, I won't be in just one location, but I will, re I will send back to you the Holy Spirit. You know who He is. He's with you, but He will be in you. And so the point is, is that the Holy Spirit will come into the individual believer and whether you're eating tilapia by the Sea of Galilee or whether you're struggling in life in Sarasota, Florida the same Holy Spirit can minister all the way in Galilee as well as in Sarasota at the very same exact moment. And not just in those two places, but in every location that there is a believer because the inside of the heart of a believer resides the Holy Spirit. He anoints you. You, you know what it said, John chapter 16. 
Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 7, you can jot it down, I'm, I'm running out of time. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But if I do depart, then I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they don't believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but right now you guys can't bear them. But in verse 13 he says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Here's the thing, the Holy Spirit is coming into you when you become a believer. And, and so what Paul's saying to the Corinthians, he's going, there was a purpose for me not coming back in. Because I, number one, I didn't need to beat you down again. I didn't want to bring sorrow to you if I came in. I didn't want to bring sorrow into you. I want you to trust in the Holy Spirit who's anointed every one of you. Not only has he anointed every one of you, but Paul then adds on, exact, doesn't add on, he just reiterates what the word has told us, what God has told us in his word, that he's also sealed you in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. He's also sealed you and I, us, and he's given us in our hearts as a deposit. You don't have to turn there again. You can jot it down and look it up. But in first, in Ephesians chapter one, in first Ephesians chapter one, in Ephesians chapter one, Paul he writes out a, a fabulous first chapter. The first three chapters of, of Ephesians are phenomenal, just absolutely phenomenal. Because what Paul does in the first three chapters of Ephesians is he goes in there and he tells you and I who we are in, through, by, with Christ or through the Holy Spirit, who we are in God, in Him, through Him, by Him, over and over and over in the first three chapters. And then in chapter 1, of, or uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he then comes on, he goes, And now, brethren, I beg you by the mercies of God that you have a walk worthy of the calling with which you are calling. Now knowing that we, all of the things that we are in Christ, in, verse, in chapter 4, he says, Now, now that you know who you are, now let's have a walk worthy of the calling with which we're called. It's a great study. We're not into that study today, but I want to reference a passage here in verse, uh, verses uh, 13 and 14 here that Paul tells us a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about in Him, in God you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news of your salvation, in whom also, I want you to listen to this, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I'm going to read verse 14 here in a second, but do you see what he said? He reiterates what he wrote to the Corinthians. He sealed you. God sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. I, I, every time I hear that word sealed, I think back of, of, of an old Stevie Wonder song. Some of you guys, it's gotten into your head right away, probably. None of you young people. You go, who's Stevie Wonder? 
Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. Remember that song? Here's the thing. I love this song because I've turned that song around to the Lord singing that to me. Don, you're signed, sealed, and delivered. In God's eyes, I'm already signed, sealed, and delivered in heaven. I'm already, in God's eyes, I'm already delivered into heaven. I'm already being blessed by every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In heaven, Christ already sees me. Don, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Why does Paul use the Holy Spirit of promise? Because it's the promise fulfilled of what Jesus, what we just read in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. That I will send to you a helper. That's the promise of Jesus. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to come into you and he will seal you. He'll deliver you. No worries. You're going to go to heaven. There it is. But then in verse 14, he says in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, this Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Did you hear what that just said? We, he is, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What is he talking about there? The guarantee of our inheritance? Yeah, that's what Paul says back in, you're back at, you're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But look at what it says there in verse 22. He's also sealed us and has given us the spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Deposit and guarantee, the same exact word. It's a deposit. You that have bought a house, what you have done, oftentimes when you buy a house, you put a deposit down on a house. What is the deposit there for? It's to show good faith that you are purchasing that house. There's a deposit on that house. Who can buy that house under you? No one. Because you have a deposit on that house, you Basically own that house. And, and so here's the thing. If you have the deposit on the house and you have the money and you move forward, here's the thing. That's your home. You have a deposit on it. It's going to be your home. What Paul says there in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, this Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redeemed, you know, until the purchased redeemed. I, I'm now totally messing that verse up. He says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession? Who is the purchased, purchased possession? I am us. We are the purchased possession. The Holy Spirit is our down payment. Gang, we're an escrow. We're going to heaven. Isn't that cool? We're going to heaven. We're going to be there, man. We're going to be there. How do you know? How can you be so sure? Well, man, because what I understand Jesus to say is that when he went away, he sent a Holy Spirit to come inside my heart and he sealed me. Not only that, he anointed me, he sealed me, and he is now my deposit. My deposit. He's my guarantor. He's the guarantee that he will take up his purchased possession one day. 
Jesus Christ purchased me. We just came out of communion. The reason of communion is that we look back at how God purchased you and I for himself through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We were purchased by blood. Do you think that he's going to go, ah, not worth it anymore? No, no. It is a sure thing. And what God says, what the promises of God, what Paul reiterates to you and I, he goes, the promises, verse 20. Here, I'm kind of working backwards through this passage. But Paul says, all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, here's the thing. If you ever sit there and go, man, I just hope I'm going to get to heaven. Listen, if you're a Christian, you're getting there. Well, how can I be sure? I mean, I mean, God might change his mind. No, God promised you you're going to heaven. And his promises are yes and amen. You know what amen means? So be it. Absolutely. Huh? What? I believe. I I believe? Uh, Absolutely. So be it. So when 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 you pray, Lord Jesus, you know, whatever your prayer is, amen. You're saying, Lord, here's what I'm bringing before you. So be it. So be it. What Paul reminds us is he says that the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Man, have you been promised that you're going to go to heaven through Christ? Through the purchased blood? Through the, through the purchased, are you a purchased possession? Are you going to go to heaven because you have done what Christ has called you to do? Do you believe in him? Have you cast yourself before him? Have you recognized your sin? Do you recognize that God has sent his own son to die for you because he loved you so much? You believe that Jesus died, his body was broken, his blood was shed, he he was buried in a grave and three days later he rose from the dead? Have you given your life to him? Is your life now for him and not for you? Here's the thing. You're going to heaven, man. Oh, somebody's casting doubt. No, 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 no. Stop it. You've been sealed. You've been anointed. You've been sealed. And God has given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantor, as a guarantee, as a deposit. You're going to heaven, man. So now let's live like it. What Paul's going on in this passage is he's saying, listen, when we, and I've got to hurry, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get as the body of what it is that I want out of here in minus three minutes. Okay? What Paul says here, he says the boasting, to open up the passage, he said, boasting, our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly, abundantly towards you. Paul had such a heart for those believers there in Corinth. He wanted the Holy Spirit to do a work in their life, not be dependent upon Paul. So the Holy Spirit kept Paul from going back into Corinth because the Holy Spirit needed to do the work and not Paul. And sometimes that's just how the Holy Spirit works. Oh, you have witnessed this in your own life. You have in your idea, you have in your mind 
that someone will rescue you. You have somebody that you're in a, in a bind and you have in your mind somebody that has always come to your rescue, has always come to your aid. And then you have gone to that person. The person goes, oh man, hey, I can't do it this time. And you get mad. You get upset. Why? Because you were supposed to be my rescuer. You were supposed to be the one that, 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 that got me out of this mess. You're the one that I've always looked to, 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 to help me in these extreme times of trial. I think it's one of the reasons why we as parents, we, we, we so desperately want to go in and help our kids at times. When in all actuality, sometimes God is saying, slow down. You don't need to be their rescuer all the time. Let me be the rescuer at times. Let them begin to learn to rely on me. And sometimes when, when our rescuer doesn't come through, there was a time in Pastor Chuck's life, I remember him telling you know, a story where there was a, uh, I'm trying to recall the exact story, but there was a, a lot of money that was owed or something like this and, and they didn't know where he was going to get the money for it and what have you. And, and uh, he was crying out to the Lord. He was crying out to the Lord and uh, somebody ended up, you know, donating this, you know, I don't know if it was a donation or if somebody bought some land off them. That might have been the whole issue with them buying all their property out there in Costa Mesa. Um, They bought this huge piece of property in Costa Mesa, which now, you know, is prime real estate out there. Anywhere in Southern California is prime real estate. I don't know why, but but they bought this huge, I mean, it was like a city block (laughs) of property. And Chuck was very, very concerned, going, Lord, you told me to buy this, but now I don't know how we're going to be able to afford the payments or to buy this. And the Lord spoke to Chuck one day as he was driving by the property one night, because that's oftentimes what you do. You drive by things late at night when nobody else is looking and you're worried, you're nervous when you know that your name is on the line. And he was worried. He was concerned. And, and he said, the Lord said to me, Chuck, not that he had an audible voice, but he was just, just in that quiet time with the Lord, he felt like the Lord was saying, Chuck, who told you to buy that land? Well, you did, Lord. Well, then you let me worry about, you let me worry about how I'm going to pay for it. Oh, Lord, I know. And I do trust you. Thank you, Lord. And that lasts for a little while until that bill starts coming up. Until that day comes up where that, that date is coming up where you're going to have to write out that big, big, big figure. And it just so happened that Shell Oil Company <laughs> came to uh, Chuck and said, Hey, you have a perfect location on your property. It's a corner. We just want a corner piece. We'll pay you. X amount of dollars for this corner so we can put up our gas station. What do you say? Chuck actually went and asked the Lord if that was what he wanted to do. The Lord said yes. But it was almost the same amount of money that he paid for the whole property. And he just had to give up just the corner, just a little piece of the corner. That's where the property is today. The church and all of the stuff is out there even to this day. But the day that Chuck got the check, 
he was going around and he was going, Lord, look at this, look at this. And he was excited in his office because he had a check. And the Lord spoke to him again. He says, Chuck, you were so worried. Why are you rejoicing at that check? Because, Lord, it's to pay off everything. And he goes, what if there's no funds to cover that check? <gasps> you know, it taught Chuck a lesson, which he's passed on, and it's taught me a lesson. I don't know if that might have been, I just might have mixed two different stories together. So I just want you to know, both of those happened, maybe not with that same exact situation, but the point is, is that he did get a check and he said, Chuck, how do you know that there's funds to cover that check? Well, Lord, I don't. Well, then, why are you rejoicing in a check? Why don't you rejoice in me? Don't put your trust in a check, put your trust in me. And it taught him at an, at an early age in his ministry, hey, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. That's what God's trying to get through the Corinthians. Don't trust in Paul, don't trust in a check, don't trust in someone Coming through, don't trust in whoever it is that you run to when you get into a time of trouble that is an earthly human being upon the face of this earth. Or maybe it's a business institution that you run to for salvation. If you run to something other than God in this earth, understand this, you're not running to the right person. Now, it doesn't mean that God might not use somebody to come in, in, to your aid, but ultimately we have to place our trust fully completely and totally in God. And that's what Paul's trying to establish in this young church. Because you know what? This church is going to live long after Paul's dead. And when Paul dies, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Hopefully a church isn't built upon a man. If a church is built upon a man, it's going to die. You know? And, and so Paul's establishing this. But he says, as far as, as far as us, though, when we came to you, our testimony is this. Our testimony is our conscience. We never came to you with anything other than simplicity and sincerity. We didn't come to you with ulterior motives. Uh, the, the, the word there... Um, uh, is... Uh, simplicity in the Greek is haplotes. Haplotes, it doesn't really mean a whole lot to you other than it literally means this. It means single. And more expanded, it means not having a double or ulterior motive. When we came to you, we came to you with simplicity. We know people that, that come to us not with simplicity, under the context of what he's talking about here, we have people all in our lives, not, not a bunch of them, hopefully, but we might, you might have run into somebody and you might even have somebody in your life right now that when they open their mouth to give you something, there is something behind their giving it to you. You ever have anybody like that in your life? Or when someone offers something to you, you have this sick pit in your stomach going, yeah, there's, there is an other, there's another end to this offer. There is an ulterior motive. There is a double message here that this person is, is giving to me. Paul says, that's not who we were. When we came to you, when I spoke to you, I didn't have a double message. I didn't have an ulterior motive. My motive 
was single. It was what it was that I said. In fact, he says that. What we're writing, for we are not writing uh, any other things to you than what you read and understand. That's what he says there in verse 13. Because we're not writing to you any, any double meanings. We just wrote to you exactly what it says. It means what it says, and it says what it means. That's what it is. I have any ulterior motives. But he also, with sincerity, and we all know that word, you know, sincerity, you know, uh, it, it's a word that literally means pure or clear or without wax. And we've heard the, the understanding, maybe you haven't heard the understanding of this word, without wax, sincerity. Literally means, you know, uh, that it's a kind of a, a, an old, you know, term that they used back in this day that meant a whole lot more than it means today, where you're uh, cooking bowls and, and maybe your, your marble structures and, and marble statues, you know, that somebody might spend, you know, months, if not years, creating and carving and sanding down a marble statue and, and has, just has a bad day. Just one bad day. And it's just, there's just like a little nick on a nostril and he's just, and off goes his nose. Nine months and here his nose is on the ground. What am I going to do? Am I going to start all over? No, there was a, a practice that, that some of these guys would do is that they would take some, some wax and they would take some, some marble dust and they would mix it together and heat it up and stick it on there. And that would basically be the glue. They'd stick the schnoz back on the statue and, and, you, and then kind of mold it in there and kind of wipe it in there. And you'd never see because it was the same color. It looked the same. But the moment that you take that sucker out there and you stick it in your round driveway and you stick it out there, you know, and, and, and that, that statue sitting out there in the sun, you know, and the sun's beating on it and people are going by and somebody comes to your door someday and goes, hey man, that's a great statue, but it doesn't have a nose. What happened? You go out there and you look and the, the, the heat hit the nose and the nose fell off because it had wax without wax. It wasn't a sincere sculpture. And so they would say, hey, is this without wax? Or a bowl, same thing. They'd crack a bowl and they'd stick wax in there and paint over it and what have you. And then they'd sell this bowl to somebody. And they'd go home and stick it in the fire to cook their dinner. And the fire would, would burn out the wax and all of the dinner with it. It was not a sincere pot. And there's a lot of us crackpots out there. There's a lot of crackpots out there that are not sincere. And Paul says that's not who we are. We're not crackpots. We're sincere. We're simple. We have one message and one message only. Paul talks about it. He'll talk about it here as we move on. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's my one, that's my one goal. That's the one motive. And so Paul is trying to, to pull this thing down and, and to finish up, you know, Paul goes on and he says, listen, when I come to you, I don't, I don't want you to ever think that I'm coming to you to beat you up. It's never been my intention, never been my goal. Now, there's sometimes that I'm going to have to bring some correction. There's sometimes that correction needs to happen at, at, house, at the house of the Lord. That's where the judgment really needs to begin, Right? Judgment needs to begin at the house of God. Oftentimes it needs to start in the pulpit. But Paul says, listen, because I'm giving you instruction and some of it is tough instruction to hear, it's good instruction and it's right instruction. Even though it's tough to hear, it's the right thing. 
I was talking to a friend recently, and we were talking about you know some 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 stuff, and one of the subject matters that came up was faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you have any of those friends in your life that are willing to put your friendship on the line and tell you the hard things because they love you? They're willing to put the hard, your friendship on the line and the relationship that they have with you on the line. And they'll tell you the hard things that you don't want to hear, but they're things that are causing stunt. You know, they're, they're stunting your growth. They're causing problems in your life. They're, they're, they're a, 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 a mark on your character. And you have a best friend or a good friend that comes into your life and says, hey, you know what? That's not your best. Who else will tell you other than that good friend? Hey, you know what? This relationship that you're in with this person, man, this isn't a right good. This isn't good, man. I am only telling you this because I love you and I'm your friend. And our initial reaction, our initial reaction wants to be, hey, leave me alone, man. This is my life. I love her. She loves me or I love him or whatever, you know. Or, hey, man, I think that, you know, I need to buy that kilo. Or, or, or I, I, I need to, you know, whatever. I found the loophole with the Lord. I found the loophole. It's okay to, 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 to do whatever it is that I'm doing that, I, that everybody else, it just wouldn't be right before the Lord. But you know what? I found the loophole. Leave me alone. It's that person that comes into your life that says, hey man, that's not your best, man. You know that that's not what the Lord would have for you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the ones that will, will come to you and say, hey man, how can I... How can I walk with you through this difficulty in your life? Let me help you through this thing. But I don't want to give it up. I know you don't, but man, it's going to ruin your life or it's going to ruin your marriage. It's going to ruin your family. It's going to destroy your walk with the Lord, whatever the case may be. And you know what? I know ultimately you are not going to like that. And that's not what, that's not you, man. That's not who you are. Can I help you? Can I minister to you? Can I walk through this with you? And, and that person comes along. You either get mad or you go, you know what? You're right. And yes, please walk through with me. Please be with me in this. That's a fan. That's a friend. That's what Paul's trying to do here. He's trying to be that person that will come in and say, hey, I'm going to say some hard things, but it doesn't mean that I don't love you. But he says, and I know that I haven't, that, that he says, listen, I don't want to come every time and be that. And, and by the way, if we have those friends that come to our, and we call them friends that come to us and they are always complaining about our lives, they're always complaining about you, they're always telling you of things that you need to do better, I don't know that that's necessarily a friend either. I think that that's a person who's not happy with their own life and they want to control someone else's. There's a balance there. We have some of those people in our lives too, don't we? But look at Paul's heart. He goes, man, when I come, and I am finishing in verse 3 of chapter 2, I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you, that, that confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. My heart, Paul says, is that you have joy. I don't want to keep bringing sorrow to you. I want to come to you in joy. I want to have a smile on my face. I want you to have a smile on your face when you greet me, when I, when I greet you. I, I, want, I want us to be working on the same team. 
For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I, I wrote to you. I didn't flippantly write these things to you. I thought these things through and I cried while I was writing to you through many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love with which I have so abundantly for you. Paul's laying out before them, you have to understand my heart. I love you that much that I'm willing to say some hard things to you. But every single time I come, I don't want to say hard things to you. I want the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life. I want to come and I want to minister. And so as he wrote that first letter, many of them, the church, basically as a whole, took it. And some of these guys that Paul kind of pointed out, the church turned back on them and started hammering them down. And Paul's like, I don't want that either. (laughs) Those who are sowing discord, I don't want you to beat them up. I don't want you to, I don't want you to destroy them. I love them too. Look at his heart there in verse 5. If anyone has caused me grief, he's not grieved me, but he's grieved all of you to some extent. Just don't be too severe on him. This punishment which is, which is afflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. God, give me this heart of Paul. God, give me this heart where I do not act like Moses, who struck the rock the second time when God told him to just speak to the rock. In his frustration, he lashes out at sheep. Paul's going, I don't want to be that man that lashes out at sheep. I want to be one that is seen as one who loves you, will say some hard things, but man, I never want it to be so hard that it drives someone away from Christ. Never. I want you to know how much I love you and I care for you. That's not just a message for me, gang. That's a message for you. It's a message for all of us to be Christ and Him crucified. Let's be Jesus to the world around us. Let's not have ulterior motives when we interact with individuals. Let's be singleness of heart. Let's be sincere without wax. Let's love, not with a love that wants to be one up on someone or beat someone down. Let's love them. Hopefully one day they'll be reunited with the fellowship. Does that make sense? Father, thank you so much for today. And I know I've taken some extra time today. Uh, Lord, I just, I pray that this message would be one of those foundational type messages in each one of our lives. Even as I started off talking about the meat, not just milk. Lord, there was meat in here today for every single one of us to show us not just how a pastor is supposed to be, but also how every individual Christian is to be. Lord, may we represent your love and your grace and your mercy. Help us to say the hard things when they need to be said, but let us say them in love, in simplicity, without ulterior motives, with sincerity, without wax, and in love and in grace. that you would be rightly represented. Not that we would look down or lord anything over anyone. That was not Paul's heart here. 
He did not want to lord anything over anyone. He was an equal with these guys. He said it there, very last verse of chapter 1. Verse 24, he said, hey, listen, I don't want to lord anything over you. I'm just with you guys. I'm, I'm a part of you. That's it. I'm not here to put you under my thumb. I'm here to, to grow with you. To grow in love and to grow in grace and to grow in joy. This love, this relationship that we have, this church that we have is to be a church of joy. This church that we have is to be a church that brings joy. It shows joy whenever anybody comes into this place. I pray that, Lord, as a lesson that we've learned, I pray it for our fellowship. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to be the men and women that would rightly reflect you. Because as Paul said, I didn't do this out of fleshly wisdom but out of the grace of God. Your grace, Lord, may it constrain us, may it compel us, may it drive us, may it direct our paths. Your grace, your love, your mercy, your peace. Oh, Lord, may we have a heart like we've seen here today in Paul. That's our desire. Do it in us, Lord that we would crack a smile upon your face in the way that we live and conduct our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.